Episode 2 of the Average Joe's Podcast, our first episode in person, Jack Melbourne. Brandon, and we are here in the city of Cincinnati. Talking about some Bengals. Talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. This episode is brought to you by the Air Force Academy. We have, we've not seen each other in person for three months, and today we, we both show up wearing our, uh, our, our correct Air Force apparel. So, shout out to the United States Air Force, I guess, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Shout out to the United States Air Force. All right. Packed episode today, folks. We're going to get into the offensive breakdown of this year's drafts, talking about the positions, talking about who's hot, who's not. Obviously going to talk about the Jamar Chase Pro Day. That was pretty epic. I mean, we can't lie. That was pretty epic. Uh, and we're going to get into a bunch of other stuff, just, just about offensive side of the ball in this draft. Um, so without further ado, let's get into it. What do you say? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So. Just to um, kind of recap what happened the past week, we got um, the Bengals bringing back Jordan Evans, Mike Daniels. You got any thoughts there? Uh, a couple of pretty good players, I think. Solid well, I, I mean, he's a rangy linebacker. You know, can play in the box, can also cover tight ends a little bit. Um, he's more of a, I think he's more of a depth option. I think, in my opinion, I think special teamer, but he's really fast. Yeah. And um, you know, I think also, I think Mike Daniels, uh, great depth on the D line. Losing Geno, we got to have a little more depth. I mean, DJ Reader's coming back, but, you know, Ren, Ren's still there. So, I mean, we got some depth in the interior D-line. But. So, we're going to talk about defense, uh, the defensive side of the ball draft-wise next week. But do you think that this move to bring back Mike Daniels causes them any sort of uh, reconsideration of draft strategy as far as maybe picking up a three technique in the third or the fourth round? What just? How do you think, just a quick – kind of bird's eye view of how this sort of impacts draft strategy as far as the D-line goes. Yeah, so I think bringing Mike Daniels back kind of solidifies, you know, as a one-year gap. So I think that, you know, they see if Rennell Wren can make that next step this year, you know, give Mike Daniels some playing time as well. I think Mike Daniels, he did not play that bad last year. No, he was good. He had a couple of good pressures. He was yeah. good in the Pittsburgh game. Yeah, he was pretty good. He's a pocket pusher. No, I mean, he's a pocket I mean, he was elite. He was a two- or three-time second-team All-Pro, I believe, yeah. And I think he still has some left in the tank. So mm-hmm. I think that move definitely pushes the D-tackled need down the list. Definitely. Therefore, I think maybe they can address it in the sixth, seventh round. Yeah. But I don't think they're going to go. Developmental guy. I agree, but I yeah. don't think it's going to be third, fourth round yeah. this year. I mean, prior to them making the moves they did with, with bringing back Ogunjo, or bringing in Ogunjobi and bringing yeah. back Mike Downs, I thought Tommy Togia in the third was going to be yeah. a guy the Bengals would be all over. But, I mean, at this point, clearly they think uh, – they're pretty comfortable with what they got going on the D line, so I, I mean, I'm I, I like the signing. Mike I mean, Daniels, good player. Yeah, they got Okunjobi, and they have Reader, and now they have Mike Daniels. Back, yeah, so. and um, Andrew Tupo, Josh yeah. Tupo, Josh, Josh Tupo comes, comes back. Yeah, so I think 
I think we're looking at a solid D-line next year. I mean, nothing special, but, you know, nothing great. Yeah, we'll see. Um, second bit of news, we, we had the report about the Giovanni Bernard teams reaching out to the Bengals about trading him. Um, you know, we know from our experience, the Bengals are not ones to uh, restructure contracts and put push cap numbers down the road. So it certainly seems like a situation where Giovanni Bernard is either going to be not in a Bengals uniform or he's going to be in a Bengals uniform at a reduced price next year. Just kind of what are your thoughts about what the news about Giovanni Bernard was this week? So... You know, I have a soft spot for for Gio. I think I mean, we all do. We, I, I, as a Bengals fan for the last you know, six, seven years, if you don't have a spot for Gio, then you're not a true fan. So, But I think, you know, bringing back Samaj P. Ryan, they, they re-signed him, and he played well at the end of last year. So I think that it makes Gio expendable. But at the same time, I think Gio is one of the leaders in the locker room. So I think it'd be kind of – I don't think it's worth get, picking up an extra four or five to move a veteran leader in the locker room. I don't think that's worth it. I agree 100%. So do you think that, you know, I, I kind of started, like, like we said in, in in talking about Mike Daniels, you know, the third round kind of seems like the spot where they have a little flexibility as to which position they address. So maybe we could see a running back now in the third round if they get rid of Geo. I mean, a guy like maybe a Michael Carter, Javante Williams out of North Carolina maybe. Those dudes are studs. You know, Gio's Gio North Carolina running back, so mm -hmm. good history there. Um, so, you know, that, that kind of brings us into the discussion we wanted to get into today about uh, the offensive side of the ball in the draft and, and kind of what the state of that is. But before we kind of talk about the, the positions of depth, you know, we have quarterback listed here, but we all know the Bengals aren't going to take a quarterback. But speaking of quarterbacks – the 49ers come up, trade up from 12 to 3, give up a King's Ransom to come up and do that. Um, pick 12 and then a first next year and then a year after. Yeah, so Miami gets three first-rounders and a third this year to move back nine spots. And then Miami comes back right behind the Bengals, which is kind of the other element to this that we'll talk about in a second. But what does the, what does the San Francisco move – uh, what do you think it means for the Bengals? Well, I think it's great for the Bengals. I, I agree. This is the best case scenario mm -hmm. because you know that the 49ers, you don't give up three first-round draft picks in the NFL to draft a tight end or a wide receiver. You give up three first-round draft picks to pick a quarterback. Yes. And it does. And to be honest, for the Bengals' sake, it doesn't matter who it is. No, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter at all. No. So, you know, for, for those of you that may not be aware, so Miami was picking third and – you know, the pervasive thought among NFL people was that Miami was likely to be the only team that picks ahead of the Bengals, who are obviously at five. Miami's likely to be the only team in the top four that is that could go non-quarterback. I mean, maybe Atlanta, but we'll see. But everybody at this point knows the Jets and the Jags are both going QB. Lawrence Wilson is almost assuredly going to be the first two. So San Francisco coming up to three – as I told you when this trade first happened, the Bengals were essentially going to get the pick of the litter at five. I agree. And even if, so say, you know, Atlanta doesn't take a QB, they take Pitts, or they take Sewell or somebody, it, they get one of the three guys yes. that I think is arguably the three best players in the draft other than Trevor Lawrence, of yes. course. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the Bengals are in a position right now where they're – I don't want to use the word guaranteed, but it's as close to a guarantee as you can get that – 
either Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase, or Kyle Pitts is going to be sitting right there at five for them to take. And you can't ask for anything more. No. So the problem I have is that with a lot of mock drafts I've been seeing, you know, Colin Cowherd's doing his and all those, a lot of them have them taking Rashawn Slater. And I don't I don't know how you can watch film. And, and I know pro days are, you know, quote unquote, dudes run around in shorts. But if a dude has a 43-inch vertical, runs a 4.45, is 250-6-6, I don't understand how you wouldn't take him over a Rashawn Slater, who is a good prospect, but not a great prospect. So I think the debate kind of here lies within, and, and this is where we'll kind of get into what the offensive side of the ball looks like in the draft. You know, the, the Bengals have, well, I mean, I would call it three holes on their offense right now. They need a third receiver. I don't think anybody can downplay that. They need another guy in the tight end room. You know, if you want it to be Kyle Pitts, that is a great option, but it doesn't have to be. And then they need, obviously, guys in the offensive line. Um, so I think the, you know, at the beginning of this process, I was big on Slater. And, you know, you'll recall that. I kind of, yeah, I was kind of with uh, Daniel Jeremiah and saying that, you know, Slater may be just as good as Panay Sewell. But now that I kind of sit here and look at it, Penny Sewell brings a lot to the table that I don't think Slater does. And I know you're a big team Sewell guy. Um, just uh, you played quarterback in high school. Just kind of talk about what you think Penny Sewell brings to the table um, over Rashawn Slater. I don't know. I just watched, you know, Penny Sewell tape and film. His athleticism is unbelievable for a left tackle. I mean, he caught three or four receptions last year. Yeah. Or not last year because he opted out, but yeah. the year before at Oregon. I mean, he could legitimately, if he slimmed down, potentially play a, like a blocking style tight end in the NFL. Like he is athletic, so I think he brings. You know, he could pull. You know, he can get out on screens. He can you know slow down and block corners and safeties. I think he just brings a lot athletically to a Bengals O line that really lacks in athleticism. So do you think that if they draft Penay Sewell, do you think that? he will move into guard or you think they'll move reef to guard so or what do you what do you think they will do what do you think they should do let's 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 go at it from that angle so i know we drafted jonah to be left tackle yes but i think if you're going to get a generational tackle prospect in panay sewell i think you talk to him and you ask what are you most comfortable with comfortable with because i get jonah now i'm not saying jonah williams played bad at left tackle because he didn't but i think if you're going to put one of them, one of the three, really, um, including Riley Reef, I think if you're going to put one of them at guard, it would be Jonah Williams. But at the same time, you don't want to mess up his development. So it's kind of like a tricky situation. So I don't really know how they're going to go about that. But so the, the complaint about Jonah coming out of Alabama was that he had short arms. Yes. So I think, to me, it would make sense that you you kind of let him fight it out in camp, who's left guard, who's left tackle. I think that that would be perfect, perfectly fine. Um, to me, it makes sense to start Panay at guard because it's because a lot of the pundits who are more educated in watching O line play than I am say that it is much easier to start at guard and move out to tackle than it is to start at tackle and move into guard. Exactly. guys, Panay Sewell might be the most athletic offensive lineman we've seen in. Four or five years. Yes, yes. He he is on par, if not more athletic, than Tristan Wirfs. Yeah. 
And anytime you can get a guy like that, I think you, you can't really go wrong. Other side of the coin, we watched Jamar Chase's pro day the other day. And wow. I don't know if I've been impressed by a dude in underwear and a shirt that much in a long time. Like, like a pro day. And I get it. It's on air, you know, but what is, I mean, athletically it translates. Let me pull up this tweet from Paul Dana Jr. I mean, folks, yeah, the numbers that he put up were staggering for a, I mean, so he probably did not, for those of you that haven't watched Jamar Chase throughout his career at LSU, he's not a burner. He's not really a speed guy. He's not a speed guy, but he gets the, the most separation I've ever seen in college football. He's got elite separation ability. Oh, and by the way, just to return to the quick um, quick Panay Sewell discussion. Panay Sewell's pro, uh, pro day numbers just came out. Uh, 33 and a quarter inch arm length, which is a little bit longer than Jonah's, and that's kind of what you look for in an offensive tackle. 6'4", 331. Um you know, arm length is probably the big issue that you run into with Panay Sewell. So, you know, here's a tweet from Paul Danner Jr. There have been 22 different tackles graded by PFF in the top 10 for a season over the last three years. Nine of them measured arm length less than 34 inches. So it's clearly becoming less and less of an issue. Yeah. Um, you can, yeah, you can play. All right. So let me pull up these. Um, here we go. Here we go. This is, this is, uh, interesting for people like myself that are in the Jamar Chase camp. Going back through the NFL Combine since 2000, uh, there are two participants that check all of these minimum boxes. 5'11", 195, 4'4", 40 or less, bench 20 reps, broad jump 11 feet, vertical of 40 inches. You know who those two people are? Well, who do you think one of them is? Yes. Kevin Johnson? No. DK Metcalf and Jamar Chase. So not saying that Jamar Chase can be DK Metcalf, but what he did the other day, I mean, it's elite. He ran a 4-3-8 for all those at home that didn't know. 4-3-8 official, 11-foot broad jump, 41-inch vertical. But he's also almost 6'1". He is. It's not like he's yeah. a round-up he's 5'7". Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. He's 6'1". Like, that's a legit size, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's legit size. And he's got catch radius. I watched some of the highlights of him shagging balls. He would add an element to this offense. A little bit. Maybe not as fast. Odell. A little bit. Let's hope he doesn't have the diva complex. No, no. I don't think he'll have the diva complex. Let's hope not. But, I mean, it's hard to walk away from the Jamar Chase Pro Day and say anything other than, wow. I know we talked about this last week about, you know, Burrow's relationship with him. But I think that – if you draft Chase, we need a re- receiver three. So you just put Jamar Chase on the outside with T. Higgins, and you have Boyd in the slot. That's and, a dream come true. All, all the people that say the Bengals already have a good receiving core is a reason they shouldn't take Jamar Chase. Pardon my friends, that's just asinine. I mean, could you – if Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins are this good by themselves, if you add Jamar Chase into this offense – It's the top four offense in the AFC. Give me a better offense in the AFC. Weapons wise. Weapons-wise, on the outside, Kansas City obviously has the best weapons, including Travis Kelsey. But if you take out the tight ends, which I know is kind of like molding the argument to fit my position. If you take out the tight ends, I I would put the Bengals pass catchers at that point up with anybody against the NFL. But then you're also thinking that 
and again, we said this last week as well, we, we overlook Joe Mixon every time we think about the offense. Like, Joe Mixon can catch passes out of the backfield. I agree. I agree. So, you know, the Bengals fan base has kind of become divided into two sets, Team Sewell or Team Chase. I'm Team Chase. I think you're Team Sewell. I am so torn yes. because I can't, I can't get over the Jamar Chase Pro Day, but I know we need O-linemen so bad. I we That is our biggest position of need, and I get it because we got T in the second round, but the odds of drafting two elite receivers in the second round two years in a row is not high. Well, and, and I texted you this the other day. The – you know, not not downplaying Panay Sewell's ability by any means. But I think if you look at the talent that's in, in this year's draft class, there is a much greater difference between Jamar Chase and, you know, who's a guy you'll get in the second round? Uh, Elijah Moore, maybe? Maybe like a, like, like a Terrence Marshall. Terrence Marshall? Yeah. I, my personal opinion, based on what I have seen, I think there's a much greater divide between those players than there is between Panay Sewell and Alex Leatherwood, or Panay Sewell and Wyatt Davis. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I agree because you got to think Jamar Chase is a Liam Eikenberg. Yeah, Liam Eikenberg. Yeah, but I'm, like Jamar Chase is a top three, four player overall in this draft. So if you could get him at five because people are quarterback hungry, I don't see a problem with that. Yeah. So, well, speaking of where Jamar Chase ranks, I I made my rough estimation at creating a big board. And we're looking at this right now. I have Kyle Pitts as number two on my big board because I think he is the most electric guy in the draft. And I have Jamar Chase at three, Panay Sewell at four. I really – this whole offensive discussion was a roundabout way of us telling you guys that um, they really can't go wrong. I would not be mad at either three. Yeah. Like if they drafted Kyle Pitts, it would be like awesome. they drafted Jamar Chase, sweet. And if they drafted Panay Sewell, I'd – It'd be it'd be awesome as well. The only way that, that they could potentially mess this up is if they overthink this, take Slater, he's a bust, or they take Micah Parsons. That's the only way they can mess this up. Yeah, I don't think we'll talk about this next week. With I agree. But we'll talk about it next week. Uh, Micah Parsons would be. Oh. I mean, <laughs> but I'm saying he's not what they need. He's not what they need right now because obviously, you know, from an offensive perspective, they need to put as much talent around Joe as possible. So so the goal, the whole goal of this offseason was to address the O-line and free agency with established guys so that they could go into the draft, which is in what? I think it's four weeks from today. They could go into the draft having the freedom to choose anybody they wanted to. They didn't execute that. Let's just not, we're not going to sugarcoat it. They didn't execute that. They signed a, they signed a really good right tackle. That did help a little bit. But the interior three is still up in the air. So they have come as close to pigeonholing themselves into taking Panay Sewell as they can without pigeonholing themselves into taking him. Because they can still sit there and tell us and say, we believe in the talent that this draft offers and we believe we can get value in the second, third rounds. I just worry that the talent of Panay Sewell almost will override any bad coaching that he might get in Cincinnati. So I think that he's going to be a good player regardless. I worry that, like you said, they might overthink this and and do something that jeopardizes the franchise. I think we can both agree Pitts is the least desirable of the three just because I don't think he adds something to this offense that they don't already have. Not saying he's not a great player, 
but they already do the intermediate stuff well. And I think also, you know, I, I realize that now I, I'm actually in the camp where I I don't mind your sample. Like I really don't. Like I don't mind. Like he makes three, four catches a game for 30 yards. He's pretty solid. You know, blocks pretty well. He's not who you want on your fantasy team. He's <laughs> not who you want on your fantasy. He could, but he could be a good tight end too. I mean, obviously, I think CJ Uzama coming back is is big. Yes. Because I think they they honestly believe in him. Yes. So that's why I think that as much as I'd love Kyle Pitts, because he could play in the slot. I don't know Tyler Boyd plays in the slot too, but if you go four wide, he could play in the you know, he could play in the left or right slot. But I also think that they trust CJ Uzama to come back and you know add to it because he's pretty good. And I tell you what's undervalued about CJ Uzama. He okay, so we've got a situation right now where right now at Paul Brown Stadium, probably not as we speak, but earlier today, CJ Uzama, Trey Hopkins, and Joe Burrow were all rehabbing together. So, peaking forward all the way to August, if you're not taking CJ Uzama in the late rounds of your draft thinking you're going to get great value, then I don't know what you're doing because I don't see any way that him and Joe Burrow have not either A, grown closer, or B, just come to know each other so much over these past three months that they're going to come out in August and not light it up. I think CJ Uzama is in for a, a breakout season. I agree. I don't know about touchdowns wise. Not touchdowns, but yards wise. Yards what did, wise. What did Ivan have? Like 750 yards, 700. And I think he had there. like 11 or 12, touchdowns. Yeah, he had 16. He had 16. Yeah. So we're not saying we're not saying he's gonna have 16 touchdowns. Because I don't think I don't know if Burrow's gonna hit 35 touchdowns, and half of them being to Uzama would be ridiculous. But CJ Uzama is good enough that the Bengals can say we don't need to take Kyle Pitts. Auden Tate as much as I think he's a great player, is not good enough for them to say we can't we can pass on Jamar Chase. You know, I have been a fan of Auden Tate. So I remember when one of the best Bengals draft picks of all time, I, I, seventh round in eighteen. Yeah. Wonderful draft pick. Because you gotta think about this. When AJ was hurt in twenty nineteen for the whole season, he Auden Tate stepped up big. He had a couple weeks where he had 11, 12 catches that game in London. The, the catch? Yeah. Bending back over yeah. his head. He looked like AJ. He looked, I mean, he, he's a physical specimen. I mean, he is big. He is fast. He is strong. The catch he had in the Titans man. game this year? Unbelievable. I was, I mean, I was there in person. Yeah. It, was, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He is an athletic freak. But he's Jamar Chase fun. brings an element to this offense that. But regardless, uh, even if you draft Jamar Chase, the Bengals go four wide. A lot. Yes. So I don't see a problem with you. All four would still get on the field. Now I get obviously they brought Mike Thomas back, and not the Buckeye Mike Thomas, the off-brand Mike Thomas. We're but, talking about the guy that started the whole fight in Miami, guys. Not the guy that catches passes for the Saints. And I think you know Mike Thomas does break some depth. He had some. He had some good catches last year. Yeah, yeah. He had a good season. He's a good wide receiver, five, six. Yeah, I, I think he is. I mean, when I kind of set up my depth chart for what I expect it to look like, I had Stanley Morgan Jr. ahead of him just because I thought like Stanley Morgan Jr., good special team guy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think that it's definitely Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase for the Bengals, and I am not buying into this shit at all about Joe Burrow is going to force the front office to pick Jamar Chase. I think that is so overblown. Joe Burrow is a smart player. He knows that either guy they pick is going to be perfect for this offense. So for all you guys saying, well, Joe Burrow wants Jamar Chase, so they got to pick Jamar Chase. No. 
Joe Burrow is going to be fine either way. Um, you know, I just, I really you can't go wrong. That's, that's the main point. Yes, and there's three dudes that, and I know in the NFL draft, nothing is ever guaranteed. Nothing. But there's three dudes that like you look at, and and people are saying, and you know, you look back on historically on drafts that are saying that these three dudes are almost guaranteed to not. I'm not, and I'm not saying they're all three going to be all pros, but to not just be above. Is it not just, just not to not bust? First of all, all the graders or all the scouts are telling you that Jamar Chase is the best pass catcher in this draft. And this is after two things that should have eliminated him from any discussion to be the best pass catcher in the draft. Devontae Smith, Smith won the fucking Heisman Trophy. Well, I used an F-bomb. That's the first one. And Jamar Chase sat out all last season, and everybody is still telling you he's the best pass catcher in this draft. There is a freaking reason for that, folks. He's an elite prospect. LSU is, as much as I hate to say it as an Ohio State fan, LSU's wide receiver you. I mean, they have to be. So, Jamar Chase, let's just kind of wrap this all up, and then we'll talk about the depth that kind of exists in the lower rounds of the draft. Jamar Chase brings an element to this offense that they have not had in years. He's not going to be what John Ross was. He's going to be closer to what A.J. Green was. Take the top off the defense, go up top, make elite contested catches. Panay Sewell, I think you're looking at an Andrew Whitworth type guy. Can play guard, move out to tackle, and just be a rock-solid player in this league. So I don't think you can go wrong with either of those guys. I honestly don't think so. And I think that going on to your point of Joe Burrow forcing the front office to pick Jamar Chase. that never do that. No, he would. That's he's not smart. He's not. He knows either way he's going to get a weapon on the outside that'll help him, that he's familiar with, that he's that he threw 20 or was it 17 touchdowns? Something like that. In a, an insane number in of touchdowns. In an insane number of touchdowns. Same number of touchdowns in the SEC, or he's going to get a dude that's protecting him. So, yeah. I don't see a problem. So, you know, that. That's kind of our spiel about Jamar Chase and Penny Sewell. And I think it gets overblown. And a lot of people are sitting here thinking, like, the draft ends after round one. Well, that's just utterly false. If you look, and we'll talk about this now, there, the, the level of talent this year on the offensive side of the ball in rounds two through seven is as good as it's ever been. Well, so you, it's, it's kind of interesting to look back on drafts like last 10 years you see how many people are drafted in the second and third rounds that are all pros. Almost every no, – I'm not saying almost every – probably 60 70% of dudes that are pro bowlers and all pros are drafted in rounds two through five. It is unbelievable. And, and let's, just, let's just remind you folks of this. The Bengals are a damn good team at drafted in the second round. Tyler Boyd, Jesse Bates, Giovanni Bernard, Andy Dalton, Carlos Dunlap, need I go on? That's just in the last 10 years alone, and, and I'm not even looking at a sheet that tells me who they picked in the second round. They are insanely good in the second round. T. Higgins. Well, shit, yeah. T. Higgins. Uh, Joe Mixon was in the second round. I mean, these guys are just coming to my head. To be fair, they messed it all up with, by drafting Drew Sample in the second round. And Jake Fisher. <laughs> Jake Fisher. That's, I mean, that's an 8 out of 10. They have an elite hit percentage in the second round. So, you got you got to trust the Bengals that they know what they're doing in the second round. Well, even so, remember when the Bengals would lose every year in the wild card? 
Those oh, no, those, I, I've never heard of that. Those no. those twenty seven straight seasons of ten it's and six twenty nine now. <laughs> no, <I know. laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I mean they draft well in the twenty. They're are they're pretty. They're pretty good at drafting, and thank God they are, because if they weren't, we would be the Detroit Lions. <laughs> thank God we aren't the Detroit Lions. Thank God we aren't the, the Detroit Or the Jacksonville Lions. Jaguars. But, you know, so the O-line depth in this draft, first of all, is ridiculous. You look at guys that are expected to be there at 38 or 39, whenever the Bengals are picking. Alex Leatherwood, going to be an insane offensive lineman, in my opinion. Wyatt Davis. Is a nasty he's a man. man. He's a mean man. He's a mean man. He's a, folks, he's a two-time All-American, if you didn't know. Uh, and he is a mean, mean man. To be fair, Wyatt Davis does have the stigma of being an, uh, a potentially another failed Ohio State uh, lineman on the back. He's going to do too well as Ohio State <laughs> lineman, dude. Yeah, yeah. That's why Josh Myers, great player. Please do not come to Cincinnati. I think – think your career might end if you come to Cincinnati. I want you to succeed. I want you to succeed. So as much as it pains me to say as a Bengals fan, why don't you go to Pittsburgh? <laughs> You'll probably have a good career there. Um, Deontay Brown, Alabama. You want to talk about a mean – He's a man. He's a mean man. So the outline depth cannot be understated how good it is. Quinn Miners from Wisconsin Whitewater, he's going to be a really good interior lineman. You know, the tight end depth in this draft, I don't think, is to the level it has been in years past. That's the part that scares me about not taking picks. Yes. Because we do. That we next have, year, if they, if they wanted to, they could take Jeremy Rucker. They could. But the problem I have is that we know CJ Uzama could pop this year, but is he really the long-term yeah. tight end? He's 28. Yeah. Coming off of Achilles. Achilles injury. Yeah. So. No, you're you're not wrong. The tight end depth in this draft is is not great. I've looked at a couple of guys that I think could be great late round options for them. Um, Trey McKitty out of Georgia, really athletic guy, great pass catcher, vertical threat. Quentin Morris out of BG, he's a solid player. Yeah, he's big, burly. Yeah. And then Hunter Long out of Boston College, he's likely to go in the third or the fourth round, and I don't think the Bengals would be taking a tight end that high. But nonetheless, solid player. Um, so, I mean, there's not much to say about tight end. It's really Kyle Pitts, then a couple steps down, Pat Fryermuth, and then kind of everybody else. There's not really – oh, I totally forgot about him. You want to talk about an athletic guy. If they, if he's there in the fourth round, I would love to see him in the stripes. Remember last year Adam Traubman was stolen? And was it the third? The late third. Yeah, late third. I think we were we remember we were all in. I wanted them to take out of trouble last year. Yes. But Dayton, I think University of Dayton, go Flyers. Go Flyers. Andrew Brothers, go Flyers. I think that uh Brother Jordan could be a steal like that. Because he is no, athletic. Now he isn't as big as you'd want a tight end, but I think his athleticism vertical forty would get get him through that. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm gonna catch catch some crap for this take. He's Kyle Pitts light. Yeah. Extremely light. Extremely light. It's light, but because he, he's like three inches smaller. But I think he's, he's athletic. He is really athletic. Now, what I'm scared of, and I know I don't usually like doing the comparisons to schools because it's not really fair to the dudes coming out. But I, I'm saying, but David reminds me a lot of David and Joku. He's been a solid player for the Cleveland he, Browns. He had stone hands a couple times. <laughs> 
to to to, to our benefit. But I think, <laughs> I, I mean, I I think I think he did actually pretty good. No, I agree. And then kind of just wrapping up with the offensive skill positions, wide receiver, running back, tons of depth. I think the Bengals are going to take a running back early on day three. Uh, I think you're looking at a guy like Khalil Herbert out of Virginia Tech, Chuba Hubbard. I think they, they're they going to need a guy that can take the power carries off Joe Mixon's plate. Because I personally hope that the Bengals this offseason are thinking of a way to get Joe Mixon more touches in the pass game. So I think they bring in a power guy, Chuba Hubbard, Trey Sermon, uh, Khalil Herbert, kind of. To your point right there, if they trade Geo for a mid-round pick, they could use that pick on one of those dudes. Yes. And, you know, Giovanni Bernard has been everything to the Cincinnati Bengals. He has stepped in and done some elite things for the Bengals as far as running back play goes. But let's not mistake that for us saying he's replaceable. At this stage in his career, he's replaceable. Yes. You can argue that if Samaje Piran got this amount of carries last year that, that that he did, I mean, he would have done the same thing. The Bengals have a solid running back room outside of Geo. I mean, Mixon, Piran, Trayvon Williams. Trayvon Williams. You throw a thumper in there with Samaje Piran, you got a, you got a good running back room. I mean, there's... There's a lot of ways they could go at running back. I think you're looking almost assuredly at a day three pick. Um, and then as far as wide receiver goes, I mean, the talent at the position is loaded. You got FCS guys like KJ Stefferson, who transferred from Notre Dame to Jacksonville State. He's been a solid player at Jacksonville State. Kay Johnson at South Dakota State. Vertical threat. I think they double up at receiver in the draft. Well, that's the problem that we get back to because the receiver depth is crazy, right? They have a high second-round pick, which I think if they go offensive weapon, they go O-line early O-line. second. O-line. But I think in the third, you could still get a receiver. Yes. That's why – Dwayne Eskridge. That's, that's why if they take Pitts or Sewell, I won't be mad. No, definitely not. I mean, folks, if you look at the wide receiver depth in this draft, it is insane. I mean, you're looking at a guy like Nico Collins who just crushed his pro day for the school up north, you're looking at him going in the fifth fifth round. And he's a big guy with a great catch radius. Him and Auden Tate remind me a lot of each other. He's scary. Wap Fillier, solid player. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. Amir Smith-Marset from, from Iowa is a solid player. Jalen Darden, North Texas. And I think it's a good point. This draft... The wide receiver depth is insane, but it's insane on the outside, and it's also really good on the inside. Like, there's good slot guys, and there's great outside guys. It's both. I think that they would be fools not to, at the bare minimum, double up at receiver. In this they they, and they should. Even if it's a six-round pick. Jalen Darden, North Texas, folks. Keep an eye on this guy. Jitterbug, quicker than all quick. Five foot nine, he's small, but he can fly. Listening, I really need you to look up his highlights. They, you will be shocked if you watch these highlights. Flies down the field. He not only flies. How many touchdowns did he have last year? I don't know. A lot. A lot. I, we'll we'll look we'll look it up real quick. I mean, this dude. I have never seen. If anybody has seen the uh, Tavon Austin highlight tape from about seven eight years ago, it 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 is it it, it compares. It's pretty good. All right, Jalen Darden's North Texas stats 
Let's uh, let's pull these up. He's five foot nine, one seventy four. So he's not the biggest guy. Like the body type. Okay, guys. Um, honestly, last year truncated season. You know, can't take much from it. Oh, wait, yeah, you can. Seventy four catches, twelve hundred yards, and nineteen touchdowns. Um. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine games, and he had 19 touchdowns. Over eight catches a game, over 115 yards a game, and over two touchdowns a game. I do not care what competition you're going against. That's insane. The guy played four years at the University of North Texas. He had 38 touchdowns in those four years. Talk about a guy you take in the fifth round. Taking him in the, the fourth, you know, third or fourth. Oh my god! I mean, he is electric. Jalen Darden, just just keep that name in mind, folks. All right, so let's let's switch gears a little bit. You know, we've hammered the offense a lot, and rightfully so, because this leads into my next question. Do you think the Bengals have telegraphed their draft strategy by not signing but one offensive outside offensive free agent? Well, I mean, if you even turned on a Bengals game last year, you know the defense was in, in shambles. I mean, I mean, you remember, we went to the Ravens game week 17. We were rooting for the Ravens to beat the rushing record because it was so bad. They were four yards away from their all-time, since the merger, rushing yards in a game. Okay, so let's just walk back through this real quick. The Browns game at home lost because of the defense. Um, if you can't stop Baker Mayfield, we got, we got problems. Oh, oh, we're in the house of a Baker Mayfield stand right now, folks. We just no, just no. Don't have time for that. Um, you know, and and there were countless other examples of the defense just failing them at every turn. I think a lot of that has to do with Lou Anarumo. So I don't know why the hell he is still the defensive coordinator. But if he is, you got to load up on talent. And, and clearly that's what they try to do in free agency. So in my opinion, it kind of telegraphs the fact that they, they might take all but one or two offensive guys in this draft. I don't have a problem with that. No, me neither. But I'm just saying, like, it, it tells a lot of teams what you're going to do. So it renders you susceptible to teams just trading up right in front of you and taking your guy. I think it does, but... I think if you do enough research, you have multiple guys that you think could be that pick. I agree. I agree. And hopefully they're doing that research. Hopefully they're doing that research. I don't know what the hell well, else like the coaching said, staff would be doing. But like you said before, I mean, we can trust them to draft. Yeah. That's the one thing we can trust them in. We can't trust them calling plays, and we can't trust them on the field, but we can trust them with drafting actual talents. I agree. I agree. agree. All right. Well, speaking of the draft – we're going to do another ranking because that's what we love to do on this show. And what we're going to rank today is our collective. Alex is going to do his. I'm going to do mine. Our top three Bengals draft memories. This can be, you know, watching the draft. This can be, you know, just something you remember about the draft. What have you. So, um, I'll let you kick it off. You give us one of your moments, and then we'll go back and forth like we did last week with um, with uh, the uh, players. Uh, so my number one draft memory was 
I remember Ryan Fitzpatrick starting the year before Andy got there, correct? Was it the year before? Or was it two years before? It was two years before. No, I just but it was the year before. And didn't Carson get hurt in yeah. 10? Yeah. And then they picked Dalton yeah. in the spring of 11. 11. Yeah. But I just remember how bad the Bengals – like, I was, like, nervous. Because if you don't have a quarterback in the league, I mean, you're not going to be good. So I was, I was, I was nervous in that draft. <clears throat> when they drafted AJ, I was hyped. I knew I thought AJ was gonna be awesome. And then they doubled up with Andy in the second. And I didn't I didn't know how good Andy was gonna be, but I remember I don't know, there was just like this sense of like like a rebirth. It was kinda like the Joe Burrow thing, like a new day. Yep. Even that all that cheesy nonsense, but at this point Carson had said, I'm not coming back. He said he was gonna retire. Chad was a free agent. So everybody was kinda like are the Bengals going to take a quarterback at four? What are they going to do? And then they take AJ Green. And if you watch the YouTube video or, or, or the or the recording of it, Boomer's like, "Whoa, Carson, why don't you come on back?" And then they just kind of give the two middle fingers to Carson in the second round and say, "Oh, screw you, we'll take Andy Dalton." So, no great memory. That's what he Historic. Historic. Did, was, did they get Marvin Jones that year too? I don't know if that was 2011. Let me look that up real quick. I just remember that 2011 draft set up the next six years of disappointment wildcard loss. That's all I remember. 2011 NFL draft. Let's, let's see what we got here. Um, so we've got... Oh, we've got Andy Dalton in the second. And then in the third, Dante Moak. Well, that was not good. Uh, Clint Bowling in the fourth. What a great player for the Bengals he was. Yeah. He was in the line with Whitworth. Yeah, it's a pretty good moment. All right, what do you got? So, I'm going to take it. Okay. My Bengals. I'm going to take it. Screw that. 2018 NFL draft. We watched it together. Yes, we did. Uh, overall, and one of our friends that, one of our other friends that's a Browns fan was not very happy about it. And uh, if you remember, which I'm sure you do, Frank Ragnow was selected one or two picks right before the Bengals were up. Well, <laughs> both, be, both of us being diehard Buckeye fans, once the Bengals got on the clock and it was clearly evident they were going to take Billy Price, we both kind of said, you know, this is fine by us. It was not. Um, but I remember when Billy Price got picked, I turned to you and I said, he's going to be a damn good player in the NFL. And still yet to be proven, I think he'll be good this year. Hopefully he gets a chance to start at center. Well, Trey's hurt. So whatever. I don't know. I'm wondering. Um, so that's one of my draft memories. Just watching that draft, thinking that Billy Price was going to be the answer at, at, at center. Clearly, he was not. You live and you learn. Let, let's hear yours, your second one. Now, this might be, you know, a cheap one. I don't know if this is going to be your easy one, but – and I feel like this is cheating, but I'm going to take the Joe Burrow one. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, this is just like the Bengals were down bad for four years. Had it been three years or four years since they had not made the playoffs? Well, since, since 20 – so, I mean, they drafted him in 16, 17, 18, 19, four seasons, no playoffs. 
and I and it was hard. It it, it was hard to watch. Yes. So I and I think just the I think the uh, I think the Joe Burrow draft pick was just you know set our franchise up for the future. So, I got mine. I'm not a Bengals fan, like I said. I like to say a lot of people. Oh, no, baby. Yes, sir. We're talking about a Bengals draft. You got one? Uh, no. No? No, they're okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll go with another one of my quote-unquote favorite memories. Uh, Joan Ross, they picked him instead of they picking Devin Bush. That was a freaking mistake. Also, uh, can, we, can we also... That same draft, uh, John Ross, one pick ahead of uh, Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> but that, and but we digress. And Sean Watson. And Sean, two, three picks in front of Sean. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Good ahead, Sean. Good ahead, Mahomes. No, but no, no. We, we got burned. Yeah. Yeah. We only took two years after that. Yeah. Um, you got a third one. I mean, you know, once it gets back a little bit further. I mean, I actually, I guess I can talk about this one. I mean, Andre Smith, Big Tubby. Getting taken number six overall, holding out all summer. I cannot stand Andre Smith. <laughs> that man has caused me to – I'm going to die 10 years earlier in my life because of the heart troubles that Andre Smith has given me. <laughs> He's big. He, 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 I, I could probably – if I had a dollar for every time he had a holding call, I would be a millionaire. But – but it's also Bobby Hart. No, yeah. but okay, I, I got another one. It, it kind of piggybacks on the Joe on the Joe Burrow one, but the Joe Burrow one kind of reminded me of. Um, well, no, no, no. The the Burrow uh, T Higgins combo reminded me of Andy and AJ, like the rebirth, like you know the wide receiver quarterback duo in round one and two. I think it is. All right, so. All right, trivia question. Question. Uh, this is I, what I hope the Bengals are not on the path to. So, uh, for everybody in here, uh, if you guys can get this right, uh, you will receive a free Air Force T-shirt uh, that I'm wearing right now. We love our military. So, trivia question: How many times did the Bengals draft in the top six in the 1990s? How many times did the Bengals draft in the top six? Picks in the 90s. The Bengals are tied to the number one overall picks since 1990. Okay. I'm going to go with six. Which one is it? Seven. It is six. They drafted six times in the top six in the 1990s. And I'll be damned if I will watch that in the 2020s. I will be damned. So, so just for the record, folks, I was talking to my father yesterday who suffered through the 90s. Bengals as a season ticket holder, and uh, he made sure to impress upon me that the 2020s thus far are nowhere close to the 1990s. So I cannot even imagine. And then I feel like the Bengals 1990s now are like the Jags now or like the Lions now. Bad. Okay. Bad. Bad. Oh well, I think it's about time we close up shop here. We're we're we're, we're going on a lot of time. There's there's stuff to be done outside of, of this this place in Clifton. So um, let's give you guys a quick Reds update. Um, just as we said last week, they suck. Um, what did we give up, 11 runs yesterday? It was 11 runs, and uh, Castillo gave up, I don't know, 
eight earned in three and a third. Flores is no, terrible four. at shortstop, for those of you keeping track at home on your score sheets. Yeah. He sucks. Well, the problem with Suarez at short is uh, not only has he not played short since 17, 16, but also he had the first two chances of his shortstop career were heirs. <laughs> so, on a positive note, we got India. Jonathan India. Jonathan India. That to be fair, I was surprised. Usually, when the Reds get punched in the mouth, they just lay down and quit. The but okay but they did score six runs yesterday. They which and they had? Would they have over ten hits? They have ten or nine? I think they had nine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Almost double digits. Almost double digits. I mean, they, they. I think the offense will have to carry this team, especially if our ace is getting shelled for six earned in three minutes of real time. As I, we're recording this on a Friday. So tomorrow, when Tyler Malley gives up eight earned runs in three innings, you were reminded by, by Jack Melberth that he was going to do just that. My favorite, my, my favorite part about Tyler Malley, real quick, is he either pitches eight, eight innings of two-hit baseball or he pitches an inning and a third of nine earned run baseball. There's no in-between. Well, like I told you when he was announced that he was going to be the number three starter in this rotation, he'll, he's going to give the Reds – Two starts this year where he goes eight against a good team and gives up like two runs. And then the rest is going to be like 4.3 ERA baseball. And that's a good five. Yeah. Good five, yeah. Not, there's no way that that's a legit three. I had somebody on the Reds radio network trying to tell me yesterday that he would be the number two in a lot of starting rotations. I said, sir, you are high. He's on something. There's not a chance. I don't even think I'm on the Marlins or like Marlins are good. But I'm, I'm trying to think. The better than the Reds. I, I don't even think on the Mariners that he, he would be. Uh, so, yeah, in conclusion, guys, there's really not much to get excited about the Reds until Castellini sells the team. We're kind of both over it, I'd say. Um, well, however, we cannot wait to be back in the stadium. I'm going Monday. You are going Monday against going the Monday. Pittsburgh Pirates. Against the Pirates. I want to see a brawl. Uh, they haven't announced yet. No, they haven't. Have they? I wish I wasn't going Monday now. <laughs> But I guess we're gonna have to deal with the consequences. Uh, over under Cabrian Hayes two home runs on Monday. Can I go over two and a half of the series? <laughs> I'm gonna go over two He's and a half of the series. Taters. He's gonna hit some taters. Bailey is starting. That's like putting me on the mound. <laughs> so yeah, folks, not much to say about the Reds. Uh, clearly, we are totally unenthused about the product they're presenting to us. Um, but with that being said. I think that does it for today. I mean, yeah, next yeah. week we will have the uh, breakdown defensive side of the ball. Not a whole lot to talk about, as we said today, just because it doesn't look like they're going to be loading up on defense in the draft. But we will uh, we will we'll talk about kind of what the options are along the D line, what the options are in the secondary, um, and then the week after that we got a mock draft. We will have a live mock draft. Well, it will be live for us, recorded and posted to you guys. Uh, and we will have fans from two or three different teams joining us uh, to pit, make their team selections. Not a Steelers fan. Um, so stay tuned for that. That will be released in a couple of weeks. And then um, four weeks from now, drafting Cleveland. Cleveland. We will be posting uh, nightly updates on what the, what the Bengals are up to. We'll do a little 10, 15-minute blurb about what we think about the pick, how the first round when, how day two went, how day three went. I'm about to it up, and I think, I think we'll be good. Jalen Walker over Jamar Chase. Infinite Sewell and Kyle Pitts. Yeah, exactly. You know how it is, folks. You know how it is. 
All right, so with that being said, we're going to get up out of here. We got stuff to do tonight. It's a beautiful Friday night in the Queen City. I couldn't think of a better way to end the episode other than a little bit of good day. Good day, folks. Have a great weekend.